New faces from Texas bring lists of priorities to Washington. The big issues, like what's happening with the Supreme Court, restoring people's civil rights and abortion rights, raising wages uh, for working class people, uh, and really taking on the issues of the day. We go one-on-one -on -one with a Texan looking to make a mark on Capitol Hill. How he plans to get things done as a Democrat facing the new Republican majority in the House. A new hint that lawmakers will have more money than expected for the next state budget. It'll be a pretty remarkable opportunity for the legislature to do something that we will never have an opportunity again in Texas history. The reason for the good news and why there's also cause for caution. A renewed effort at the Capitol to end the Texas tampon tax. Why supporters think they can succeed now after previous attempts failed. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Good Sunday and thank you for joining us this Thanksgiving weekend. I'm Monica Madden in for Josh Hinkle. Newly elected members of Congress are gearing up for action on Capitol Hill and several Texans make up some of the new faces heading to Washington. Last week, the newly elected members gathered at the Capitol in D.C. for a class picture as part of orientation for freshman members. Seven Texans will be new to Congress. Five of them are Republicans, including former Collin County Judge Keith Self, who won the District 3 seat left vacant by Plano Congressman Van Taylor. Former Smith County Judge Nathaniel Morin will represent District 1. That's the East Texas seat previously held by Louis Gohmert, who did not seek re-election. Morgan Luttrell will take over for longtime Congressman Kevin Brady in District 8 near Houston. Luttrell is a former Navy SEAL who served as an advisor to Energy Secretary Rick Perry. Wesley Hunt, shown here on the left, is an Army veteran who won the newly added 38th Congressional District near Houston. And Monica De La Cruz will represent District 15, which stresses from Guadalupe County south to the border. In a hotly contested race, the insurance agent flipped the longtime Democratic seat red with the help of the endorsement from former President Donald Trump. The two Texas Democrats new to Congress are both aligning themselves with the progressive wing of the party. Jasmine Crockett of Dallas and Greg Casada of Austin attended events geared toward progressives during orientation week. Crockett served as a state representative from Dallas. Casada was an Austin City Council member. Earlier this week, I spoke with him about his priorities and a path forward as a new member of Congress. So you just got back from the first part of freshman orientation in Congress. Just walk us a little bit through how that process works as you're entering the House. Well, nobody from Austin has done that process in decades. It's a brand new seat here in Central Texas that I've been honored to be elected to. And orientation started out like so many other jobs. You get your parking pass and are given your laptop. Uh, but then also, being a new member of Congress, there were some incredibly powerful moments. I was on the House floor as Speaker Pelosi, who's led the Democratic Party now for decades, uh, gave her speech passing the torch along to new leadership. I was joined there with dozens of newly progressive elected members of Congress who are ready to now start setting a new course for the party that really tackles the big issues, like what's happening with the Supreme Court, restoring people's civil rights and abortion rights, 
raising wages uh, for working class people, uh, and really taking on the issues of the day. So it's been so great to have her leadership, but now she's passing the torch along, and it was incredible to be there for that moment during orientation. Yeah, speaking of Speaker Pelosi stepping down from decades long in leadership, it's looking like Representative Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat from New York, is going to uh, be her successor. Do you plan to support Jeffries as a potential leader of the Democratic Party? I will. He's the one candidate uh, running for that position. Well, we have also Congressman Aguilar, Congresswoman um, Catherine Clark, also the only candidates in those top three spots. And I just had a conversation um, with Congressman Jeffries yesterday where we talked about Texas. Morning, we talked about the fact that abortion rights have been stripped away here. It's not just a threat like in other parts of the country. They've actually been stripped away here. We talked about the fact that we have less people insured with health insurance in Texas than anywhere else in the country because our governor continues to reject Medicaid dollars. Dollars that we pay in our income taxes are getting sent away and aren't being brought back in Texas because of an old fight with Obama. But we should really be fighting to protect people's lives. So I had that conversation with him and really urged that we look at what's happening in Texas as a crisis and that we need his support and the Congress to be focusing on those issues. Mm, that's interesting. You know, from that conversation, what did you two talk about as possible steps forward in addressing some of those issues, uh, specifically with abortion? Because as, as you know, Democrats, even when they had the House, were unable to codify Roe versus Wade. So even now with Republicans in their slim majority, what are the steps forward for that? Yeah. Two things. First, uh, with Republicans in the majority, we need to be able to fight off further attacks on basic civil rights. We've already heard from uh, Kevin McCarthy, who seeks to be the Speaker of the House, that he wants to attack basic things like Social Security and Medicare. So we have to put up a strong front line to block any cuts to basic programs like Social Security. Then second, we need to be able to work on any bipartisan uh, bill that actually is for the good of everyday people here in Central Texas, like protecting our dreamers. So there's some of that work. But then third, to your real question here about how do we restore abortion rights, that means taking back the House and getting to 52 in the Senate, because it looks like that's what it's going to take to restore abortion rights. We need to fight for the next election to get enough of a majority, not just in the House, but in the Senate, to pass the Women's Health Protection Act. It's one of the bills I will put my name on in the first week in the Congress. Women's Health Protection Act would essentially make Roe v. Wade the law and make it so that places like the Supreme Court could no longer take that away. Any Republicans you're reaching out to? I mean, you said that you'd be willing to compromise on some things if that's what it takes to get your priorities done. Yeah, you know, I recently um, uh, received a, a note from Senator Cornyn uh, at, right after the election. I saw what he did on music venues, for example. That's really important for this city. And so places where any Republican is willing to partner on protecting small businesses or keeping um, our dreamers from being separated from their families or protecting our veterans, I'd be ready to work on those, on those issues. That was just a portion of my interview with Congressman-elect Kassar. You can see all of it online now, including his thoughts on reaching across the aisle to get things done in a Republican-controlled House. It's linked to this story in the Texas politics section of our website. Just scan the QR code on your screen to take you there. The 2022 midterm elections are hardly in the rear view, but already there's talk about the next one, mainly who will be running for president in 2024. Senator John Cornyn was in Austin Tuesday doing volunteer work at the Central Texas Food Bank. Afterward, he answered questions from reporters, including his thoughts about potential Republican candidates beyond Donald Trump. 
we've seen very successful uh, governors, for example, uh, Governor Yunkin in, uh, in uh, Virginia, Governor DeSantis in uh, Florida, and uh, of course, people like Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, a lot of great talent is going to be out there in 2024. Um, if President Trump is the nominee, I will support him. But right now, I think it's uh, there's a lot of uh, good candidates who uh, could well be our nominee, uh, who I will support if they are. That said, I mean, given how the midterm shook out for candidates who closely aligned themselves with the former president, do you think, or are there on any ongoing conversations with him about his run and you know where the party should be headed? Well, I. I think um, my experience with President Trump is that uh, he's going to make his own decisions and uh, doesn't really uh, take advice uh, from others. Um, he's free to run, and that's uh, so far the choice that he's made. But uh, 2024 is actually a long way off in the world of politics, and a lot can happen between now and then. Senator Cornyn said the split control of Congress could be good news, saying the power divide makes it more difficult to pass bad legislation and could encourage constructive compromise. Some call it a move to end an archaic tax. We'll look closer at the renewed effort to stop the state tax on period products, but it's failed before. Why supporters think now is the time for change. Just over a month before the session, there's good news about the state budget. Come the day before next legislative session, one word that'll stick out, wow. The state's controller hinting that lawmakers will have even more money to spend next session. Why he's also sending a note of caution. Texas lawmakers are getting some good news about the state's vast budget. State controller Glenn Hagar spoke earlier this month at an event hosted by the Austin Chamber. He told the audience he expected Texas would have even more money available than the number he originally forecast. That's a big deal since Hagar earlier this year predicted lawmakers would have a record $27 billion surplus. Now he's hinting it could be much larger. Hagar is calling it a once in a lifetime opportunity. When we come into next legislative session is going to be a pretty remarkable opportunity for the legislature to do something that we will never have an opportunity again in Texas history. We will never again have an annual tax total collection compared to the prior year of 25%. We will not still have some federal money that can be utilized instead of uh, state money for general revenue. So it is going to be a remarkable opportunity because the word that they can't use, they can't use no. And now they have to prioritize what are those things that we can do in Texas to hopefully make life a little bit better that, that we have not been tending to. And that, that mix is going to be a lot of things in the bucket. Just to make a point. Hagar said the money could help Texas invest in critical infrastructure like improving roads, the electric grid and expanding high speed Internet connectivity. He said those investments could fuel long term growth in Texas. Governor Abbott and other state leaders have called for a large part of the surplus to go toward property tax cuts. Other lawmakers have called for pay raises for state employees, especially teachers, and funding more school safety measures and improving the state's water infrastructure. While Hagar said the record surplus creates opportunities, he also sounded a note of caution. I'm saying that the economy is slowing down, and yes, Texas is going, in my opinion, without a doubt, is going to outperform the national average. 
We will outperform many other states as we have. We will outperform many other countries. But with that said, we're not immune to the clouds on the horizon of the national and the global economy. The economic uncertainty is one reason why Hagar said he's not giving the revenue estimate quite yet. He plans to release that number in January on the day before lawmakers convene in Austin. She served decades under the dome, setting an example for fellow lawmakers. We'll meet a state senator who's found a higher level of dedication to make a difference at the Capitol. First, a renewed effort at the Capitol to end the Texas tampon tax. This is a discriminatory tax. It, it impacts uh, half of our population at some point in time in their lives. Why supporters think they can succeed now after previous attempts failed. Due to that large budget surplus, there is a renewed effort at the Capitol to end the Texas tampon tax. Legislation filed this month aims to create a sales tax exemption for menstrual products. If it passes, Texas would join more than 20 other states that do not charge sales tax for tampons and other related period products. It's not a new idea. Efforts to end the tax in Texas have failed several times in previous sessions, but this time Governor Greg Abbott said he would support the legislation if it gets to his desk. Representative Donna Howard again authored the bill. She spoke with our Kelsey Thompson about the outlook this time around. Talk to me a little bit about why this issue has been so important to you uh, from a legislative policy standpoint and how you're feeling heading into this next legislative session. Okay, well, I have filed it several times and uh, each time have gotten more momentum in terms of the support in the larger community from my own constituents as well as people from throughout the state of Texas, especially young women. Uh, it's been extremely encouraging to see uh, the young women who are even in high school as well as in college who actually came to Austin to testify in support of this legislation. That's how strongly they feel about this. This is a discriminatory tax. It, it impacts uh, half of our population at some point in time in their lives. And uh, because it is a medical necessity, because it is required to be used in order to be comfortably attending school and work, uh, if you do not have access to these products, uh, it can actually impact your educational and employment opportunities and how you pursue those. Um, so it's 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 really a, a very important statement, if you will, in terms of recognizing the discriminatory nature of, of this tax. Now, recognizing again that this is the tax portion, you still have to buy the product. And we know that there are many who are in need of these products who do not have them. In fact, we've been told by the school districts that several young women uh, do not attend school for a couple of days each month because they do not have access to these products. And when it comes to sales tax exemptions, we know that there are several other medicinal medical products that already have that protection and don't receive those sales tax fees. Why do you think it's taken to this point and we're still having this conversation on whether or not menstrual products should be included in that list? My understanding is that it really has to just do with the interpretation of what is categorized as a medical product uh, through either IRS, FDA, but whatever the listings that exist 
there there apparently is some discretion, but uh, up until recently, anyway, the comptroller's office has uh, felt that this was something that required some kind of statutory action, legislation on the part of the legislature, rather than just instituting the change themselves. So uh, indeed, now the comptroller has come out publicly saying that this is something that he thinks we do need to do this session. So glad to have his support and backing on this. I think that's gonna go a long way toward helping us finally get this across the finish line. Last session for the first time, we did get the bill through the committee hearing and had unanimous bipartisan support for the legislation. It just never got a chance to be voted on on the House floor. Uh, so we just ran out of time. Uh, this time, hopefully, it'll be a priority and we can get it done earlier in session. Uh, Senator Joan Huffman, who is the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, has also indicated publicly her support. So I'm very hopeful that we can pass it this time. You talked about the momentum you've seen each time that you've brought this bill before the legislative session and how there have been so many young girls across the state who have really championed this issue. What's that been like to see that sort of evolution over recent years and to also see that this hasn't been a, a partisan issue? It's something that a lot of people across the aisle have agreed upon. What's it been like to see that momentum really rise in the last several years? You know, I think it's so encouraging to see young people recognizing the power of their civic engagement and taking it seriously and, and coming in uh, and talking about an issue that sometimes is stigmatized, but they've been very brave about it. They've been actually very grounded and informed and have stood up for themselves in front of what oftentimes, oftentimes is a an older group, uh, many men who are part of the legislative body. Uh, I've been extremely proud uh, of these young women and what they've done. And I think it's going to bode well for the future of their civic engagement. They're going to see that what they've done has made a difference. And it's been incredible to watch. We wanted to find out how removing the tax on menstrual products would affect the state budget. The controller's office estimates the sales tax would bring in $28.6 million during the next two-year budget. For comparison, the last state budget was more than $251 billion. So proponents say it's a drop in the bucket. Controller Hagar made that point when he supported ending that tax. In a statement, he called the tax archaic and said the state can absorb the lost revenue. Hager added, quote, for countless Texas women, this will mean significant savings in their personal budgets over time. You can't do the work if you're not there. She spent nearly half her life serving in the Texas Senate, and she's leading the way as lawmakers begin to shape the next session. We'll introduce you to a longtime lawmaker who says she has no plans to slow down. The unofficial start to the upcoming legislative session kicked off on November 14th when state lawmakers could start filing bills. And first in line was State Senator Judith Zaffarini. It's become a bit of a tradition for the longtime senator. Being the first Hispanic woman elected to the Senate is only one of the records she's broken during her 35 years. And she told me she has no plans on slowing down. Thank you, Mr. President. If lawmaking were a class, you can't do the work if you're not there. Senator Judith Zaffarini would write the syllabus. 
fair to guess that you would get an A plus. Would you grade yourself <laughs> like that? <laughs> yes, I would. My staff and I. Consider this her yearbook photo from her first term in 1987. Now heading into her 11th term and the Laredo Democrat has never missed a single day of work. I didn't even know they kept a record, but it's just my work ethic. Members Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick honoring her last session for her 65,000th consecutive vote. She has not missed a vote since 1987. 65,000 consecutive votes. That's just unbelievable. She attributes her punctuality and presence to her early Catholic schooling. But when it came to the school of lawmaking, she had to learn on her own. I really didn't have mentors at any point in time, nor have I had one in the Texas Senate. But I mentored myself. I learned by watching other people. And as she prepares to enter her 18th legislative session, Zaffarini says she's taking the same approach now she did from the start. My staff and I embrace our mantra, which is serviam in Latin, I shall serve. And we believe very, very strongly that no bill, no issue is too big or too small for us to handle. And as for that syllabus, Senator Zaffarini really does have one. She says that she's taken notes in the beginning of how to make a motion and other key parts of the job, which she now passes along in a book form to other new members. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Monica Madden. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.